Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. First question for you is the first brand as a child that had an impact on you. Yeah, I've heard you ask this question before, and I've, I've tried to think about it. And for me, in terms of a brand, I think of the Boston Celtics. Um, they were winning crazy championships back then, and Larry Bird was my favorite player. So that was an influence for me to, you know, I, I was dying to get these Converse leather all-star shoes. Yep. <laughs> I had to have them. I finally got them for Christmas one year, and I wore the heck out of those things. I mean, I wore them every day. I wore them to bed. They were my favorite shoes of all time. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Ralph Mitchell, the VP of Communications and Marketing for the Cincinnati Reds, the oldest franchise in Major League Baseball. Cincinnati Reds turned 150 years old this year. This is our first sports marketer, and Ralph is a great place to start. We talk in this podcast about sports marketing, what it is, what he's most proud of, how he has evolved as a leader, and what it's like to build a brand new stadium. This is my conversation with Ralph Mitchell. Welcome, Ralph, to the CMO Podcast. So happy to have you here. We've had a lot of listener requests for a sports marketer. You're awesome. our first one. Awesome. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. And it's significant it's you because you are the head marketer for the oldest baseball team in America. Very that true. That is celebrating a 150-year anniversary this year, which we are going to unpack and talk about a bit later. That's great. Yeah. So I've been to the ballpark twice in the last week. Okay. What'd you think? Uh, fabulous experience. We didn't win either game. Okay. But they were okay. good. They were right. competitive. But I had a great time. The weather was beautiful. Your people were great. I love it. I'm wearing my Joey Votto jersey I for the listeners that. for good luck. Very nice. So I'll be back. Very nice. And there's always hope. Yes. You let me know when you come back. I'll treat you to a hot dog and a cold one. Very good. Well, we'll get into that later. All right. So I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better before we jump into what life's like as a sports marketer and how you brand a sports team. Sure. So you're an artist, I understand. I, so, I, yeah, I dabble. Yes. So I want to know when you discovered that talent and how today you keep it alive. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, so I do have a passion for the creative arts. I um, started really as a kid sketching. I took all the art classes. That's really what got me interested in advertising and marketing was the art part of it and graphic design even. Uh, I had my first um, kind of co-op with General Electric uh, in their trade show and communications department and uh, designing graphics for all their air shows. And so that was really fun. But yeah, I mean, going back to when I was a kid, um, I just always remember love loving to sketch. It's comics or what? Did you do comics? I, I loved comics as well. Yeah, I loved uh, all of that. But really, I sketched anything. I would sketch, you know, obviously a lot of sports stuff. I've always been passionate about sports. So, um, yeah, but, you know, even today, I find it therapeutic. You know, my kids and I who are teen, I have two teenage girls, and we will go out to the, uh, the craft store and buy canvases, and we'll come home, and we'll just, like, literally for hours, I could just paint with acrylics. And it's just kind of, like, very therapeutic for me, so. That's what I do. It's kind of a hobby. I, I love mean, it. 
So what were your sports growing up? What did you play? Well, I was terrible at baseball. I tried. Ironic. Uh, my, my dad was actually an umpire and I was a pitcher. So he would call all strikes for me, which I thought I was better <laughs> than I was until I reached high school and tried to play. Uh, but for me, it was basketball. Again, I was so influenced by the Boston Celtics growing up and football. I played football since I was seven. Uh, the New England Patriots weren't great back then right. growing up as a kid, but uh, I'm, still a, I'm still a diehard Pats fan. Did you so. play football through college? Uh, through high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What position? Tight end. Yeah. So your dad, you said with two daughters. So what has baseball taught you about raising two daughters? Wow. What has uh, patience? Uh, Maybe, or maybe parenting has taught me that about baseball. I'm not sure which way it goes, but um, it's funny because uh, I started with the Reds in um, 99, a year before I got married and we had kids two years later. So really my whole baseball career I've had, I've now got 17 year old twins uh, and so my whole baseball career, I've had kids. So it's almost parallel paths to where I'm not sure which is taught which, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, I think probably patience would be the one thing. Mm-hmm. My son just married a twin. So is that nice. right? Yeah. yeah. It's funny because they don't run in my family at all. But, uh, you know, it was, it's a blessing. So. so when did you decide to be a sports marketer? Uh, interesting story. So I'll give you a little bit, a quick snapshot. I, I mentioned General Electric. From there... Uh, which incidentally is the reason I moved to Cincinnati. They've got a big aircraft division out in Lynn, Massachusetts, where I, I grew up north of Boston. But uh, at any rate, I um, then went to a publishing company, a local publishing company. It was uh, up in Lebanon, Ohio, and I worked there for five or six years. This is post-college. Um, post-college, uh, moved to Cincinnati, was at GE for a little bit, and then uh, uh, from there I went to this printing publishing company and worked desktop publishing and design. And one of, my, uh, one of my main accounts was the Cincinnati Reds. We printed their yearbook and their game day programs and their media guides. Uh, back then, the printing industry was still booming. It was, you know, mid to late 90s before kind of like the dot-com bubble, you know, and then printing kind of was on the decline. And that company, I, I think, ended up selling to some global print company. And I left there and got an opportunity with the Reds um, in 98, after the 98 season. So essentially doing print publications back then for the Reds. It was a staff of about 40 people. I mean, it was a very small front office. And one of the first things uh, I did, and you'll have to fact check me on this. I've been telling people this for, for 20 years, but I've, I've been told that we were one of the first sports websites. So the, I mentioned the dot-com bubble in the mid-90s. We hosted our own web page, and it was basically just a web page. It wasn't really, there wasn't any click-throughs or landing pages, but uh, it was one page. And part of my responsibility being hired as, I think my title was like assistant director of communications, was to provide content and, 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 and push content to this page. And I didn't know anything about web pages. I didn't even write, you know, and I was doing game recaps and things like that on the website. So it was an interesting introduction to, um, to being in sports marketing, but... Even then, we didn't have a marketing department. So we had communications and public relations, but we outsourced everything back then. It was small. Um, the formula for sports marketing back then was pretty simple. I mean, you, you, you advertised, you sold tickets, and you maybe tried to build your brand through some um, player appearances out in the community or some events in the offseason. But it was much simpler back then. So give me an idea. Back then, you might have had a staff of how many in communications and publications and how many would you have today? Just ballpark? Yeah. So back then it was about four. Today it's about 26. Uh, so w- going all the way, way back to 2002 or three, I started implementing uh, new departments into our communications staff. We started minimizing some outsourcing and really controlling everything internally. Uh, everything from our publicity to our media buying to our web and digital. Um, and so that's really where in a cre- a whole, an entire creative services department that I built uh, from, from scratch. So it's really worked out well. But uh, yeah, four people, and, and the four people that I mentioned is a combination. We all shared an office at the old Riverfront Stadium. You remember that. And it was the Bengals, the NFL team was still there, and the Reds were still there. So we shared the stadium when I started there before they built Paul Brown Stadium. And so we, there were four of us literally in one room, and we were sort of the media relations slash publicity slash communications. It Get was, to know each other well. We got to know each other real well, yeah. Are they still there? Um, let's see. Uh, Two of the three other guys are still there. Super. Yeah. So what would you be doing if, you're not, if you were not doing sports marketing? What would I be doing? Probably something in the creative arts. You know, something, you know, I'd love to be an artist. You know, I'd love to be doing something. That's really my passion. Um, 
you know, I kind of fell into the sports marketing. I mean, my path is a little atypical from, from uh, probably a lot of your guests, but uh, I would say something in the art. I still love to draw and paint. So what's something about Ralph that we cannot find online? I didn't start out loving baseball. I mean, I, I do believe that you, you have to love the product that you sell. I mean, there aren't many people working at Hershey's that don't love the taste of chocolate. You know, I mean, so I, so I do appreciate baseball and I've learned and grown to really love it, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily start out that way. So um, like I mentioned, basketball and football were my passions as a kid. So I want to move to your job and I want to unpack that a little bit so that our listeners can learn mm-hmm. sort of what's the work of building a top sports franchise like the Cincinnati Reds. So kind of what do you do, you know, if you yeah. had to put your work into buckets right. to say this is what a top sports marketer does, what right. is that work? And how is it different or maybe the same as someone at IBM or GE or sure. P&G? You know, I've thought about this because I've never really worked for a CPG brand. So it's, this is really all I've known, you know, for 20 plus years is sports marketing. And it's grown and evolved over the years. It's so much different than it was uh, even just five or 10 years ago. Um, so really, I mean, my role, and I've got a great communications team. Uh, like I mentioned, we've got, we do most, we do outsource some things when we do some specific campaigns like the 150, which we'll get into. But um, for the most part, we do everything internally. Um, and so I'm in a lot of meetings. My, I mean, if I were to use one word for my day to day, and I can literally feel your listeners rolling their eyes, but I mean, meetings are essential. I'm a, big, I'm a big proponent of communication. We have this sort of internal agency that we service and support a lot of internal clients. So depending on the objectives and the different goals and things, we really need to understand that um, because they, they're all different. I mean, if you, if you go to our nonprofits, we've got a, we've two, two nonprofits with our Reds Community Fund and Hall of Fame versus our ticketing department versus our special events. Versus, there's all kinds of different silos uh, within the Reds organization that we help support. Um, so we're in a lot of meetings. Um, reporting meetings, tactical meetings, strategy meetings, we're, we're in all those types of meetings. And it does help. You know, we've, we've kind of built a, a, a culture of teamwork there. I mean, it, it's sort of like, you know, I said 26 people from my department. The entire front office is maybe 300, 350, including our player development and scouting people. Um, so it's not a huge company. Um, and so it's really important that we're all kind of aligned and on the same page. With that 300 plus in the front office, what unique role does, do you and your marketing team bring? I mean, what is the absolute unique added value you bring? Uh, the, the unique value that we bring. I know see. you're part of the team and you're all part of, you know, bringing fans in, engaging with the game, but what kinds of things do you do that are, right. um, that are special? Yeah, I think when you talk about, you know, why we exist, I mean, if you, if you were to ask any sports entity at any level, I mean, the ultimate goal is to win, to win a championship. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of control over that. You know, I don't have the scouting director from player development calling me, asking me about the lefty and AAA. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. But what we can control, like you mentioned, is uh, entertainment and connection and community outreach and those types of things that really instill pride in Red's country. And Red's country is, you know, five states, you know, it's Indiana and Kentucky and West Virginia and of course, Ohio and North Carolina even. So we've got a hundred different radio affiliates throughout Red's country. And so, you know, those are the things that we control. And those are the things we try to really focus on is we say we throw 81 parties a year and we, there's 162 games in a baseball season. It's a lot. I know 81 home games. So we'd like to say we throw 81 parties a year. So how's your life different off season versus on season, in season? That's a great, you know, it's probably the most frequently asked question that I get. And it's a little bit different in, in season, uh, is mostly operational. I mean, you have, for the most part, you have everything kind of laid out and planned. Um, the off season and believe it or not, we start the off season. Now major league baseball just released the 2020 schedule a couple weeks back. So we're already in the planning stages for next season. I wish we were planning for postseason, but that's not going to happen this year. Um, but that planning does start in August and September of the previous year. So I, it's definitely more of a strategic uh, phase uh, in uh, third quarter and fourth quarter. And then moving into Q1, we start with um, spring training and move toward 2020. But it's really more strategic in the offseason. We're as busy. You know, I mean, we try to as, as best we can to stay relevant because that's, you know, like I said, uh, it's important for us. Um, to keep that pride, you know, there's soccer team, there's a, there's a football team, and, and, and we love our neighbors 
uh, in the NFL and, and in uh, soccer, but we do a huge annual uh, fan fest that uh, brings people downtown every, every winter. And then one of the things I'm most proud of is, is our caravan. And if you're not familiar with the, the Reds caravan, uh, it's, it's like I mentioned, the radio affiliates. It kind of started out to, to go out and visit the, ra- uh, the radio affiliates with our players and coaches and get them to talk to the, the fans out in the regional markets. And it's grown to uh, like over five states. There's four buses that go in every direction, 3,300 miles. Um, and it's, it's quite a, it's quite an, it's three days long. So, and I'm fortunate enough to be on one of those buses and it's, it's just a lot of fun. So keeping the fans interested and engaged and uh, inquisitive all season. That's, that's the drill. So how do you measure, you know, you said you can't really control the players. Of course you can't. And the wins you hope for a champion every year, but of course it's sports. You can't have it. How do you measure your progress as a marketing team short and long term with a franchise like the Reds? Right. So that's the one aspect that I, you know, and I admit this even to our staff is that that's the one challenge for me is being an old soul, all the metrics and measurables and charts and graphs. I mean, it makes my head explode, to be honest with you, but I'm more of a qualitative thinker, you know, behavior, uh, human behavior and that sort of thing. But we do have a great tech team. We do have an analytical team that provides us with those uh, metrics. And so we look at those things. We look at what the ticket drivers are going to be on any given weekend. We look at opponents. We look at weather. We look at promotions. We look at themes. Uh, we do a ton of uh, extracurricular stuff, post-game concerts, fireworks, anything that's, you know, like you just mentioned at the beginning of the show, you came to a couple of games and you had a great time, regardless of whether the team won or lost, we can't control team performance. But what we can, tr- can control is, is whether or not you had a good time at Great American Ballpark. So that's what we really try to focus on and talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're like you're interesting because you know you your success depends on the health of baseball as well as the health of the Reds, right? And your engagement with fans. So how do you approach that? I know you can't control the health of baseball, but you and your colleagues across the league, I guess, have a lot to do with that. So how do you think about your job in terms of building the category of baseball and interest in baseball, as well as building some sort of affinity or loyalty to the reds i mean how do you work both yeah it's i mean so for us i mean a large percentage of our fan base uh, we like to call them institutionalists so they're you know it was handed down from your, your dad or your granddad or your mom or your grandma was a big reds fan and it was handed down generation it's very multi-generational uh, so we try to leverage that uh, if we can um and it's family friendly, and we really try to focus on family friendly. And in, in, in the league, from a league wide standpoint, they initiated a play ball weekend throughout the league. So every club hosts a play ball weekend, and it's really to incentivize kids to get out and play baseball. Um, and so we do we do a lot of that. We do such a great job through our Reds Community Fund and the P and G MLB Youth Academy, as you know, out in Rose Lawn, does a great job servicing kids year round. It's free clinics. And so we really try to engage. We say hashtag womb to tomb, right? So it's about getting the kids involved at a very young age. Uh, and some of that comes multi-generationally just through families. But we try to really leverage that. We were the first ballpark to actually implement a nursing suite. So we got a letter. And sometimes that's all it takes is one fan letter. We really listen to our fan base. And they said, hey, look, I've got young kids. I want to come to the ballpark. There's nowhere for me to nurse my, my baby. So we, we partnered with Pampers and we actually built and we're actually going to build, well, maybe we're, we're planning on some other uh, family-friendly areas around the ballpark for next season. But yeah, so we really try to focus on, on, on that type, type of thing. And the league is behind that as well. Good for you to listen to a fan and react that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And then globally, I think, you know, we played in Mexico this year in April. So I think the, and there's, uh, there's other games. The Reds are not playing uh, internationally next year, but I think the league is really focused on that as well as really, again, ex- extending that brand, uh, not just nationally, but also globally. So how do you see your competition? I mean, when you have a chat with your team, is it television? Is it the other sports? Is it? It's all of it, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, it's a really good question because we're vying for people's time. You know, their entertainment dollar. They're going to go to the movies. They're going to go, you know, to amusement park. Or, but what's going to bring them to great? What, what makes the ballpark a destination? Um, so, you know, that's one side of it, certainly. The other side is exactly like you mentioned. It's technology. It's what's going to make them get off their comfortable couch at home in front of their HD television or streaming on their mobile or however they digest their content um, and providing things that you can't get. 
right? You, you, can't, you can't hear the PA, you can't smell the hot dog, you know, so we try to focus on some of the things that bring, you know, live sports entertainment, live sporting events is entertainment, you know, so we really try to focus on that part of it. But it is, I mean, it's increasingly a challenge with all the different ways that people can watch. I mean, back in the day, I mean, we didn't, we didn't even televise half the games. You could listen to them on the radio. Now we've got a great partner with Fox Sports, but they televise every single game, which is great. I mean, our TV ratings are really high this year. So it's, it's a balance, you know. You know, great talent on air. And even if the games may not be super interesting, the talent makes it so. Exactly. It's fun to listen to them. To keep the fan engaged. I mean, some it, again, you cannot control the score. You can't control the team performance. But it's about keeping them engaged, keeping them tuned in, keeping them coming to, back to the ballpark. Exactly. So a tough decision that so many marketers have is kind of who to focus on as our customer. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's a tough choice. You know, is it... Is it a young man? Is it families? Is it, um, is it baby boomers who have more time in their hands? So how do you think about that? Do you think about it in, in, in segments or do you think about it as total pop or when you're designing an experience at the ballpark or for television? Who right. do you have in mind? I mean, do you have active discussions around that? Is there anything we could learn about that from choices you've made? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, absolutely. If we're talking about ticket sales, and, and let's face it, in this business, you got to be able to sell a ticket. So if we're talking about that, strictly ticket sales, it's you fish where the fish are, right? So it's almost geo-targeted to the top five zip codes around Red's country. We target that. As far as demographics, that'll tell you a whole bunch of different things. Um, but we definitely have a focus on families. You know, the demo would tell you it's, you know, 34 to 54, or 35 to 54 white males. Um, they're already coming. We kind of have that, that demo at hello. So we kind of, you know, we, we reach out and we geo-target in the top zip codes, but we also try to reach the unique audience. You know, example of that would be the entertainment seeker. Not the avid fan, not the, not the guy or gal who's coming to five or six ball games a summer, but the entertainment seeker who might come, like Disney World, right? You come once in a while, but when you come, we want you to come back. So we're going to try to provide the, the best time possible. So we actually, and this is another kind of league-wide initiative, but I think the Reds do a, a great job of the theme ticket packages. So I don't know if you've seen any of the advertising around town, but we do these theme ticket packages to this unique audience. So all the data and metrics tell us that it's about a 52% unique buyer, which means for us that they haven't bought a Reds ticket in three years. So th- we're getting a new audience to come to the ballpark based on the fact that they love Star Wars and we're doing a Star Wars night at the ballpark. So again, it's about entertainment. It's not just about baseball for the entertainment seeker, but it's about reaching new audiences through other means. I love the bobbleheads. They bring me out. Yeah, exactly. Bobbleheads. So promotions, you know, I, I, I still, and I've been in they the work. business a long time. I haven't figured out the phenomenon yet, but we did eight this year, eight bobblehead giveaways. It's probably about in the middle of the pack as far as the league goes. And I think it's unique to baseball too. I mean, I think the yeah, NBA it dabbled in it a little bit, but you don't see the NHL or NFL doing a lot of giveaways. So that is definitely one thing. I spent a lot of my time really planning. I have a meeting uh, today, as a matter of fact, for the 2020 promotional schedule and talking about that. And think about it. You know, Can we you don't give us even, any previews. We, well, we don't even know what our roster is going to be. So um, yeah. it's interesting, but we work with our baseball operations department to try to figure all that out. And there's a lot that kind of goes into it. Uh, well, here on social media, you know, we did a Yasiel Puig bobblehead when he was with the team. And um, when he got here, he cut his hair into a mohawk and dyed his hair blonde. And the bobblehead was created, you know, three months earlier. <laughs> so we hear on social media, it's like, oh, you guys missed the mark. Why didn't, you know, why in the heck didn't you have him in the blonde mohawk? Classic look. Uh, yeah. that's a, right. <laughs> That would have been a great idea had we known. <laughs> Bobbleheads are awesome. I, you know, the, I, it's funny because the, the, whole, the whole notion of fandom and fan frenzy and the whole phenomenon is still like, it's like nothing I've ever seen. And if, you, if, you, if you've ever seen the movie Fever Pitch, right, with Jimmy Fallon about the Boston, I mean, that guy exists. I mean, those are, that's real. And so when you, get, when you have people literally tattooing your brand on their bodies and, and it literally defines who they are, I mean, that's a pretty established brand there. So we'll leverage that all day. You know, I mean, it's really, the, the, and, and the people who, who are avid fans are really the ones who really love to collect the memorabilia as well. So it really works. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, 
you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So you just had a milestone. I mean, how many brands, sports teams, could say they're 150 years old, right? So that's what you're you're celebrating this year. And I've noticed all sorts of creative activations all around the city. So it's been fantastic. So if you can step back from that and every brand has anniversaries. Right. You know, so what have you learned from celebrating this huge milestone, the oldest baseball team in the world? Right. What have you learned in the last year about the activations that might help others who are celebrating anniversaries? Well, don't, don't stop. Don't think, don't ever think it's enough. You know, we've got uh, a president and COO, Phil Cascalini, who's, uh, uh, we all look up to him so much, but he's always pushing and pushing for more and pushing for more. And even what you, you see what the NFL is doing with their hundredth anniversary, uh, the hundredth season anniversary and, and, and really embracing it. Uh, and major league baseball embraced the 150th, but it was really the Cincinnati Reds, the first all professional team back in 1869, who really launched way more than, than, uh, anything from a league standpoint. Um, not that they weren't collaborative. It was just, wasn't, uh, a priority. I think the focus for the league is to look forward. Again, we mentioned the youth and we mentioned the, the initiatives that they're instituting. So history is important. Uh, you have to embrace that. Um, uh, and so we looked at every angle. We benchmarked other teams. You had the, the Chicago Cubs a couple of years ago, um, more than a couple who were celebrating the hundredth anniversary of Wrigley Field. And so they did some throwback uniforms. I think they did 10. We said, well, we're not going to do just 10. I mean, it's 150 years. We're going to do 15 or 16 throwbacks. So that's really, uh, that really gained a lot of momentum in the marketplace. People love it. The retail that that sold alone. I mean, we couldn't keep that stuff on the shelves. The throwback unis, the throwback hats. When the players are wearing it on the field, the swag will sell in the shop. So uh, it wasn't a retail play for us, but it certainly was part of the celebration for us, uh, 150 years. And the way that we- So you'll keep sw- selling a swag next year from the 150 years? Maybe. I mean, we, so we have, we have collections in our team shop that, that celebrate Big Red Machine and some of our history, but not to the extent that we did this year. This year was kind of a phenomenon. Again, it's an opportunity, like you mentioned, that we were trying to leverage. It's 150-year anniversary is you know, something certainly to be proud of. So we, it's, a, it's been a season-long celebration, and it's been a lot of work, but really, it's been great. again, it's, it's kept the fans engaged in a season that's been a little bit up and down mm-hmm. for us on the field. Do the players love wearing the old uniforms? They do. Yeah, they do. Actually, our manager, David Bell, who is a third-generation Red, his dad, Buddy Bell, played for the Reds, and his, and his grandfather, Gus Bell, played for the Reds, and he got to wear the uniform I think it was a 1956 uniform that his grandfather wore, Gus Bell. That's very cool. And he actually commented that on that That's in the news. Cool. So it was really cool for him. The players love it. They actually got they got so into it. Uh, back in the day, we used to have a player, Ted Klazuski, and he had these massive uh, biceps. So he was the first to, to uh, kind of implement the sleeveless vest jersey. And so our players actually took it among themselves to not wear any undershirt. <laughs> and they actually played the entire – and this happened like two or three yeah, times. I remember. Uh, so it was – you know, I mean, you, you can't buy that, that type hit of publicity. social media very hard. Yeah, and we got national exposure yeah. for it, and you just can't buy that type of publicity. When you have personalities on a roster, um, you, t- you try to leverage those. You know, I mentioned Yasiel Puig. Those are the type of personalities that fans love. It's not all about their performance. They don't have to be necessarily the best player, but if they're a fan favorite, we'll look at that, and we'll try to leverage that as much as we can. So there's a lot of talk in our industry, in the marketing industry, about, about brand purpose. Yes. Right. It's the mantra. Uh, it's, it used to be a fringe idea. It's now mainstream. So everyone's talking about how do I find my purpose, bring it to life? How do I measure it? Um, we've helped a lot of brands do that on my small team. Do you think about that at the Reds? Do you talk about that sort of concept? Is that, is that relevant in your world or not? Do you use you know, different language for it? Or Full disclosure here, since listening to your podcast, I've actually had a meeting internally and, and asked that question. And oh, that's um, great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, because I think it is important. And it's something that, you know, I said, define what we do. You know, why do we exist? In one or two sentences. And that's all I wanted to hear from people. And everybody from the business side, from my team, said entertainment. Entertainment was the first thing that came to mind because that's really what we focus on. 
Also pride. We really, again, we talked a little bit about it, but there really is a sense of, I don't even know if it's instilling pride or maintaining pride or reinforcing pride or what the, what the phrase is, but it's really about, um, it's really about pride in Reds country. And it's got to go beyond team performance. I mean, you got to be able to, this is, you know, it's been a, it's been a tough stretch for the team. And how do you keep season ticket members engaged and renewing every year and coming back to the ballpark and buying these ticket plans? How do you keep these avid fans coming back? You know, it's, it's, it's something that we have to look at each and every year of what's going to be new, what's going to keep people coming back to great American ballpark. Um, so yeah, absolutely. We, we talk about that. And I think if I had to put it in a one sentence, I think the purpose, at least for the business side, again, if you ask baseball operations, if you ask our general manager, he'll tell you it's to win a championship. I mean, that's the ultimate yeah, for goal. Sure. Uh, but for us, it's, it's really about, it's about that. It's about instilling pride in Reds country and Reds country, as I mentioned, is a five state region. Um, that's beautiful. It's very and, powerful. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I think we've got an incredible team that really establishes that. I mean, we do a really good job at at, at that and, and at focusing on that. So, Well, the wonderful advantage you have versus a lot of other categories and brands is you do kind of have the whole experience, right? So people come, they watch you in television, and you pretty much with Fox control that, the talent. Right. They come to the ballpark, and you have them for a few hours. Sure. And so you really have a chance to get interaction, experience, inspiration, engagement. So it's a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous yeah. advantage versus other categories. It is. And when you do, and when you do reach a new audience, uh, you, you want to get them back. So maybe 10 years ago, we implemented the Red's Way program. And we've got these ambassadors and these internal ambassadors. It's almost sort of Disney-esque. They have the cast members at Disney who literally everywhere you turn, there's somebody there to help you. When you walk through the gates at our ballpark, there's ambassadors everywhere mm -hmm. telling you where to go, what to do, how to get there, how to do this or how to do that. And so I think it's really important that the fan experience is a top priority, is the top priority for when we get people to come to Great American Ballpark. Well, I think you do a good job on that. Yeah, well, I don't thank know what you. your data shows. But I know that you've come to the ballpark. Anecdotal so experiences, I have a great time. That's and awesome. And I'll be back. That's what I want to hear. So let me switch to talking a bit about you as a leader. Okay. So if we can get into that a bit. So you're almost 21 years with the Reds. We heard about your career starting in graphic design and beginning with GE. So 21 years with one team and one sport, how do you stay fresh and creative? How do you stay inspired? What are your strategies for that? Yeah. Um, fortunately enough, I think in sports, um, there's an opportunity to kind of turn the page and start with a clean slate and kind of evaluate what went right and what went wrong. So the rhythm of your game, um, you have a, a year, the season ends. Exactly right. Exactly right. So we do that a lot. Um, from a leadership standpoint, you know, for me, like I mentioned, because we support so many different initiatives, I mean, communication is one thing that is really, really important for me, um, which is why we meet so much. Um, but our meetings are very uh, strategic in the sense, structurally, that uh, they're, they're passionate, they're never boring, they're sometimes exhausting, but at the end of the day, the, we have to reinforce clarity at the end of every meeting. And so we actually... You've heard of the DRI from Steve Jobs and what he did at Apple. And so we've kind of implemented that. So when we leave a meeting, the question is, who, who's owning this? You know, whatever the initiative is from our team, who's owning this? And who's the directly responsible individual, the DRI? Mm -hmm. We don't use the term DRI, but I love the concept. It's such a simple concept. Um, so we implement that kind of strategy in our meetings. Uh, we try to keep them on point. Uh, sometimes, you know, a, a, Clear objectives. A, a reporting meeting can sometimes turn into a tactical or a, or a strategic meeting and we try to keep it on point, but communication is really big. Um, I've, I, I actually implemented, this is just a, a little antidote, but to give you a, a little bit of a sense of how I think, uh, I love to be copied on emails, but I, we're all inundated with a lot of emails. So I've, I've actually asked internally that they start each subject line with one of three things, FYI for approval or to discuss. And that way I can search at the end of every day, I can search my emails by subject line and I know what I have to address that day before the day is over. And so I ask my, my staff, copy me on everything. I'll digest what I want and I'll spit out the rest, but do these three things for me and I promise you I'll get back to you in, in short order. And so that's kind of worked out good. I think from a process standpoint, we, we, we really have a, a great team who kind of understands that and and owns when they are the DRI and, and when they're supposed to own something and, and be accountable. I think 
you know, when responsibility is ambiguous, then everyone feels less accountable. So you have to hold somebody accountable. If, if it's your meeting, you run the meeting. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has an opinion. But at the end of the day, it's your meeting to run. So I think that's so when you have about. a four approval email, are you able to get to it within a day? Uh, yeah, I get to it that usually that night. Yeah. So it's really it's sometimes real time stuff. So, yeah, four approval means I need an approval. It's, it's urgent. It's urgent. Yeah. If it's an FY, they're just letting me know something, and, and, and that's just kind of an appreciation thing so that I can either I can speak to it when I'm in executive meetings or I can speak on their behalf or at least I, I'm giving a heads up on what might be around the corner. Yeah. So what's the biggest change you've seen in sports marketing in your career, and how did you shift your focus or your capability building as a leader? Digital. I mean, that is a no-brainer. Digital has changed everything. The entire landscape is, continues to evolve literally by the day. And I just hired really good people around me. I mean, like I said, I'm not, I'm not an analytical thinker. I think um, a little more qualitative, but if you hire good people around you, they can compile all that data and serve it to me in a way that I can digest it. And so I really lean on them to do that. And they're, and, and they really enjoy it. I think there's, you have to understand people, you have to understand their skill set, And so I understand my strengths and weaknesses. And so uh, and I think it's important to surround yourself with people who are, you can't ever be the smartest guy in the room, right? You've heard that. So I, I love uh, the staff that I work with and appreciate all that they do for me. Um, we're all player coaches. You know, we use a lot of sport references, but player coach is one that we, you know, I think teamwork in general um, is something that we, you know, we kind of foster that culture of teamwork. And I think people respond better when you kind of roll your sleeves up and they know you're working alongside of them. Um, so that's definitely something that, you know, that what's the saying, if only the guy who isn't rowing has time to rock the boat, mm -hmm. you know, have you ever heard, yeah. you ever heard yeah, that one? So, uh, right. So I, I think if everybody's on, you know, if everybody's kind of vested in what we're, what we're wanting to do, sometimes it takes a village and sometimes it takes more than a few of us. So, um, yeah, so teamwork is important. Communication is important and just surrounding myself with really good people who love what they do. Uh, I, I, I really pride myself our staff on, on that. I mean, I'm so proud of them. They, they do such a great job. So, yeah. so what's your most important relationship at the Reds? Is it with your CEO or someone else? So I report directly to the senior VP of all business operations, uh, Karen Forgus, who's, she's great. She started, you know, she's in now 10 years. So that's the other thing. Since the new ownership, the Castellini group bought the team in 2006 and there's, there's, there's been a lot of people who, there hasn't been a lot of turnover. There's been growth, um, but the senior leadership especially has, has, has been there for quite some time. Um, so, yeah, that's who I look to. That's who I report to is Karen Forgus. And then my interactions really are kind of vary based on, I work with a lot of the directors and executives, but I'm, I'm also in a lot of other meetings that are just tactical meetings. Um, so I think interaction is, is really depends on the day, depends on the meeting. You know, we, we've got, We've got meetings, standing meetings every week, just like anybody, but there's always meetings that pop in that you sit in on and weigh in on. And, and so I, I would say probably most is, is the executive level at the senior VP level, but uh, I love interacting with everybody. What do you enjoy most about your job and what drives you crazy? Uh, so... Yeah, I talked about responsibility and group emails drive me crazy. Now, I love seamless communication and I want to be copied on them, but address the email to who it's supposed to go to, right? So that there is a DRI. If it's just this, you know, you're copying 10 people on an email, but it's not addressed to the, to the pe person who's supposed to own it, then again, everybody on that email, including the DRI, becomes, you know, less accountable. That kind of drives me crazy. Not responding to, to either an email or a phone call. I, I'm kind of a phone guy. Uh, again, I'm an old soul. I like kind of talking to somebody or eyeballing somebody, um, versus texts or, or whatever these apps are nowadays that can allow you to instant message somebody on the fly. I will text, but I definitely prefer calling. And, and, and so I would say just from a communication standpoint, I like, uh, face to face if at all possible, or phone call would be second and then email maybe, and then text. But anyway, um, uh, what? What was the other part? What do you really love? Oh, what do I really love? Uh, the diversity. I mean, you know, it's just, it's so different every day. I mean, that's why I've been there for 20 plus years because not only year to year, but literally, I mean, literally homestand to homestand. And what I mean by homestand is when the team mm -hmm. is home uh, for 10 days, 
we might automatically think, okay, so this new kid from the Dominican we brought up, uh, Aristides Aquino. Very exciting. Right? I mean, come on, this guy's a phenomenon. So how do we leverage that, right? I mean, the, the fans, it's a buzz. It's all over the media. So we did this flash sale, this 44-hour, $5 off sale. I mean, just to try to leverage this. His number's 44. His number's 44. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, but we're always looking for those type of opportunities. And so that's what keeps it kind of really intriguing every single day is is that there's opportunity. The agility of it and the opportunity Absolutely. and the speed. Agility is a great word. Yeah. Absolutely. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So what are you most proud of so far in your career with the Reds? Wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, just looking back, um, a couple of playoff stints, which nothing beats the feeling of being in the playoffs. That's why we all work. You know, that's why we all do what we do. Um, but I was, I was at the Reds um, in the old stadium. So I, was, I went through the process of building a new ballpark, and that was an experience. Uh, and I had a lot, I mean, even as a young guy, younger guy, I had a lot of input on that. And that was certainly uh, a great experience. Hosting the All-Star Game in 2015, another wild experience. I mean, that's a jewel event from Major League Baseball. Uh, but the Reds took it to another level. And even the league would tell you that. Um, I mean, it was just, I mean, you, you yeah, were, I was here. I had a great probably, time. Yeah, yeah. It was unbelievable. We had a zip line down the middle of the street yeah. and we actually saw that at the Super Bowl in Indianapolis a year or two before. So we got to have a zip line. Um, so we had a zip line and it worked. It was and crowded. It, and it worked and it was, yeah, it was, it was not, uh, it was not point A to point B. We kind of, you know, had to, but we got there and it was uh, successful and awesome. So all-star game. Uh, and then this year you mentioned the 150th, the 150th anniversary was something that again, teamwork. Uh, it took a great team effort to, uh, we started playing this literally 18 months ago and it kind of just c continued to grow and grow. What if we did this or what if we did that? Or how could we add this? So for me, it's been a long, a long career. I look back, I mean, as a, as a young guy, I think the one thing that maybe all those things have in common, and I kind of mentioned it, um, with a brand extension is that, you know, the Reds are the oldest professional team in baseball, um, there's a lot of equity in that brand already. It's pretty well established. But when you get an opportunity to, to, to kind of implement some brand extension through different logos that then become your primary mark, that happened when we moved into the new ballpark, like I mentioned. That happened in 2015 when we hosted the All-Star Game. And that also happened this year with the 150th. So I, I, I've been lucky enough to be a part of those three things and seeing all the gear in the shop, seeing that on the players, you know, that I helped design that. Again, here's my creative side coming out, but that's really fun for me, working with the league, working through all that. I think, you know, going from a printing company to a major league baseball team, and I remember sitting in the stands for the first time and seeing all the people reading through the yearbook that I basically designed. And, and that was just like a really cool feeling for me. And it's just, I mean, I, I don't take it for granted. I never take it for granted, all the, all the uh, great luxuries I've been afforded through, through my career. But, um, the creative process is one that I really appreciate and, and brand extension is one in particular that I think I could point to. Mm -hmm. Well, I, my wife and I love renovating homes and we've done a few of them, but you've done a stadium. You've built a stadium. I mean, how many people have been part of that? So is there anything about that that you look back on and say, I wish we had done something differently? Yeah. Or is, because <laughs> I think it's, it's, it stood the test of time well. I think right. Great American Ballpark still feels really modern, contemporary, and interesting. Yeah, the inaugural year. I mean, we opened that ballpark in 03. And if you think about it, with all the new ballparks being built, with all the new amenities, I mean, it's one of the older ballparks. I mean, you know, take out Fenway and Wrigley, but I mean, it's really one of the older ballparks now, and it's only 15 years old, so 16 years old. So, uh, I mean, we change it every year. I, I mean, know you do. So that's the one thing. Phil Castellini, again, he has a vision like I've never seen. So, again, we listen to our fans. We're constantly adding different exclusive areas or family-friendly areas, and we're constantly upgrading the ballpark. 
because you benchmark other teams and you see these new ballparks, what they did down in Atlanta. Have you, have you been down to Atlanta? No, my son has. Battery Park. I mean, it's amazing. And so that's kind of the new normal. And so we try to take lessons from that and say, okay, well, what can we do? Fenway's done the same thing. They're not going to tear down Fenway. They're not going to rebuild that. But what they've done is they've added seating sections and they've added party areas and they've added all these different VIP and really luxury areas. So it's never, when you look back, you say, oh my gosh, I mean, to look what the ballpark was in 03 compared to what it is now, I mean, it's like a whole different ballpark. I mean, the second, we have a second video board because back in 03, that was unheard of to have two video boards. Um, now, you know, we put that in before the All-Star game. And why? Because all these so other the new ballparks. the lesson is never stop changing, never stop innovating, keep building on it. Absolutely. And listen to your customers. I mean, they're the ones who are telling them, they're telling us what they want. You know, we renovated our entire fan zone and we have, you know, a ton of activity out there in pregame and a lot of it's sponsor activated, but a lot of it's from the fans. This is what we want. This is, we want bigger concession stands. We want the, these type of food items. We want this, you know, so it's all about the fan and bringing them back to the ballpark. Absolutely. So Ralph, what do you think your special gift is as a leader? You sound like you're a very energizing, fabulous boss. So what would you think your special gift is? I hope my staff is listening. To that i'm gonna I hope they will forward the link thank you for that jim um me as a boss i think you know I, I i look i think back one of my one of my favorite case studies is the story about the class from an elite university that were taking a they were taking a final exam and the extra credit question on the exam was what is the name of the man who empties our trash and mops the floor of our classroom each afternoon? And not one student could answer the question. And the lesson, the lesson is, and what I remind myself of all the time is, the lesson for success in business and or life is civility. And that all people matter. So whether you're a boss, I mean, it doesn't matter what role you play on a team, the team really matters. And so for me, I mean, even though, you know, that case study, every student had multiple encounters with this man, but none of them got to actually learn about him or ask about him as a person. And so for me, you know, that's the one thing that my staff knows about me is that no task is beneath me and no task should ever be beneath you. I mean, uh, and that all people that we work with, work for, uh, matter. People matter. It's important to remember. Beautiful story. Yeah. So what are you still working on as a leader? What do you, what's a skill? Patience. Full circle, Jim. Uh, Yeah, parenting and uh, boss and leadership. I think, you know, again, uh, in terms of of people and leadership, I've always thought that there are really good managers and, and good managers oversee things like projects or procedures or protocols, but leaders really deal with people. And getting to know what make people tick and what their skills are and what their weaknesses are and how they think and how better to work with them. I think the great leaders really understand people best. And that's what I really try to do is understand the staff that I work with and put them in the best position to succeed. If I put you on stage at a big industry meeting with all sorts of industries out there in the audience, what could marketers in other categories learn the most from you and your team and the Reds? I have been on stage at industry meetings, and I'm trying to think of what, what did I what did I present? What did I talk about? There's been a few different times, um, and we're on committees throughout the league, and we talk about certain things. I think there's things that we specialize in that um, maybe other clubs in the industry look to us for. And, and one is the Reds Way program. One is our outreach, our community outreach. I just, I literally, I cannot say enough about our Reds Community Fund. Uh, so why do you do that? Why do you do the community fund? Again, it's to reach, it's to reach youth. It's to, it's to stay relevant in the community and it's to give back. Uh, the, the academy we built. So tell our listeners a bit more about it if they're not from the Cincinnati area. So, uh, great. So the Reds Community Fund was established in 2001, one of the first community funds. And um, in 2000, since 2006, I hope I'm getting these numbers right, but it's been like 350, 380 ball fields have been renovated in and around Reds country. And again, the objective is to get kids out playing baseball. Uh, that's, that's extraordinary. We did, actually did, as part of the 150, we did two legacy projects this year to leave behind the community. One was in St. Bernard and one, um, one was in Bellevue, um, Kentucky. So uh, the, the outreach 
and the work that they do, the Reds Community Fund, is is something that I think other clubs look to us um, to implement into their own. I, I don't know how many urban youth academies there are in Major League Baseball. I think it's only maybe not more than 10. And we were maybe like the fourth or fifth. Um, so we pride ourselves on that and the great work that the Reds Community And you let the fans did. help, right? I gave 20 bucks in the community fund. Absolutely. When I was there. Hey, the more you want to help, yeah. the better. We appreciate that. Also, the Brick and Mortar Hall of Fame. So a lot of teams, there's obviously Cooperstown, but we celebrate our history like no other. Uh, that's evidenced by this year, 2019, and the anniversary we're celebrating. But the, to have a brick and mortar, and I don't know, I should, but I don't know how many clubs actually have a, a Hall of Fame and museum. And we boast our museum, which we just renovated this year, as one of the, the outside of Cooperstown, it's hands down the best museum in baseball. And you don't just hear that from people in Cincinnati. You hear that from people all around, from other teams that come in and their staff and their broadcasters who come in and visit. We're really proud of that Reds Hall of Fame. Um, from the marketing standpoint, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, the, the way that we innovate and reach new new customers with we do last year we did 15 of these t uh, theme ticket packages and it, it was a huge success these are incremental ticket sales we're driving new business into into great american ballpark and i think we do a really good job of that we've brokered partnerships with all sorts of different entities we have a grateful dead night we have a star wars night we have a marvel superhero night so um, very smart it's hard to bring in new people to any it franchise it is it's very and, smart of you it, it, i mean you have to kind of be innovative especially when I mean, look, winning is, that's the answer to every riddle. I mean, that's the greatest marketing tool ever. But when you don't have that, you, you have to look, at, look to, to other things. And I think that's what we've done a decent job of. So last question before our lightning round. So what lightning marketing- Lightning round, I thought that was a lightning no, round. No, 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 no. Oh, it's going to get faster. <laughs> so what marketing in sports or outside of sports do you admire? So which are the companies, brands, campaigns that, you, that you've taken inspiration from? Um, I just mentioned Marvel, Marvel Studios, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a Marvel fan. Um, and, and part of the reason is because they've been able to connect generations. It's, it's really one of the things that have connected one of my teenage daughters with me because I used to have the comic books when I was a kid, and now she's getting into the Spider-Man movies. And that's, I really admire the way that they've been able to do that. I mean, for the past, I don't know, since the first Iron Man movie came out in 08 or something. And they've just built on that and built on that. And so I really, I, I, I'm really just in awe of, of that brand and the group that it's, I mean, the Comic-Cons that they have out in San Diego and now it's spread, you know, nationwide. I mean, it's really something that's, it's growing year to year. And um, so that's something, that's a brand that I kind of am in awe of really. What's your favorite superhero? Iron Man. I mean, <laughs> come on. He just saved the galaxy, right? Right? Am I wrong? Iron Man. Who's your favorite superhero? You know, I like Thor and Spider-Man as a kid. I like the Avengers. I mean, it's a whole collection. Yeah, it's but awesome stuff. Now I love the Avengers. Yeah. I do like them. I was a comic book nerd as a kid, too. I was, too. It's, and it's just awesome. And it's just like they just build on that. And they've really... Uh, I mean, DC Comics, is those movies are all right. You but know, not Nothing like against Marvel. DC, but Marvel is really... They've really cornered that market, for sure. And DC's trying its best to keep up, but I just, I'm in awe of Marvel. I can't wait for the next. That's one of the reasons I'll subscribe to Disney Plus is because they're coming out with all these Marvel shows. So it's, it's brilliant. Okay, now for the lightning round. Yes. First one is the craziest thing that's happened to you or to anyone in your ballpark. Uh, I started with the Reds when Marge Shot was the owner. And she used to love... She was a character. She was a character. She, and she used to love animals. And so she literally brought... I mean, uh, so now the... Uh, at the elephant exhibit at the Cincinnati Zoo is, is uh, I think she paid for that and it's in her name. It's a March shot exhibit. But anyway, she used to parade elephants around the warning track of the field before games. But this is an honest to goodness story. She brought a baby elephant into the offices. Of course she did. Yes. Now she was a woman, for those who aren't familiar, that used to have her dogs in the office. And like you said, she was a character. She's ahead of her time. Uh, way ahead of her time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that may be, and that was really early in my career. Um, so that was a little bit, yeah, that's pretty that, good. That was pretty good. Right. So, a baby elephant in the office. So your favorite food at any ballpark, cause you visit a lot of them. Oh, the meatball sub at city field. It is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Worth the trip. I like, I went in line multiple times. I would just get a sub, eat it while I was in line to get another one. It was that good. So favorite <laughs> sports team other than the Reds. New England Patriots. 
I mean, uh, you, how's you, the year look? You can't hate. You can't. You can't. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so again, I was born into it, multi generational. I'm an institutionalist, but I mean, and, and I suffered through a lot of years. I grew up there and went to the old uh, Schaefer Stadium and Sullivan Stadium, and it was freezing cold and they were just terrible, but we're reaping the benefits now. I mean, you know, so I. Anybody who knows me will tell you I'm 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 that guy. I'm the guy who's fanatical about about the New England Patriots and Tom so, Brady's the greatest thing ever. Next question. Why does everyone hate the Yankees? Because they're so good. Yeah, I mean they're so good. I mean, if uh, if you can stop them from hitting home runs, their starting pitching probably won't get him through the postseason. I mean, their bullpen's decent, but I don't know that the starting pitching can get him get him past Houston. I mean, Houston, I mean, did you see 36 runs in the last two days? Crazy. I mean, are it's you gonna kidding be a fun postseason. Me? Yeah, I can't wait. I wish we were in it. Next year. Amen. So what do you read or listen to every day? Uh, I travel from Westchester, which is a suburb uh, about 30 miles north, but it's about a 90-minute drive into town. So I take the time to listen to uh, my Greek lessons. Actually, my wife is from Greece. We travel there every couple of years. And... Um, that's ambitious. Yeah, yeah, because I, well, I was tired of them talking about me in Greek and not being able to understand what they were saying. <laughs> so, Are you making progress? So, yeah, I think probably, I would say not every day, but, you know, when I'm in the car, it, it kind of helps me relax and, and listen to, to, uh, to the Greek lessons, yeah. So what's the first thing you do in the morning when you get out of bed? I work out. Every morning? Yeah, every morning, 4.30. I get up at 4.30 in the morning. It's crazy. What's but, your routine? Does it change? Uh, yeah, it changes. It changes. Uh, I mean, it, it really helps for me. I mean, it's definitely changed as I've gotten older, uh, but I've kind of worked out in the morning my entire life and it just helps start the day on the right foot. It, it, it do you do it alone or with people or a fit class? Or uh, I go to a 24 hour gym and there's people there, but I kind of just do my own thing. Yeah. I mean, there's not many people there at 4.30 in the morning, but there's a few crazy people like me and I just love it now. It's part of my routine. I'm like I mentioned to you, I'm kind of a routine guy. And so if I don't do it, I'm up at 4.30 anyway. I don't even set an alarm clock. Like my body wakes up literally you. like within a minute. Like it's yeah. unbelievable. I'm the same, but I get up at five, so I sleep in. That- <laughs> so best book you've read lately if you're reading books these days? The Advantage by Pat Lachoni. Great book. His whole series of books is really good. Uh, the Four Obsessions of an Executive, um, Death by Meeting. I love all of his books. Super. Great tip for our listeners. Yeah. Check it out. So have you ever joined in on any hitting practice with the team? Oh, no. They, that would be, that that would be, be really murder. bad. Yeah. Do you ever do anything with the team athletic-wise? Um, we have – the front office staff has access to the weight room, at the, and it's a really nice weight room at the ballpark. So we have some access. Um, but no, I mean, athletically, no. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an athlete anymore. I'm best suited to the stationary bike at 4.30 in the morning. Sounds good to me. <laughs> I stay in my lane, Jim, you know. So your favorite Reds bobblehead? Oh, wow. There's, there's so many. And I do have some stories I'll tell you offline about that. But my favorite one would be, um, hmm. We try to make, you know, I mean, we try to make our bobbleheads unique. We did, uh, one year we did the Dusty Baker uh, toothpick holder bobblehead because he always had a toothpick in his yep. mouth. Uh, last year... Was it last year we did the Scooter Jeanette uh, on a scooter? Scooter on a scooter. And Scooter's great. He was, he was loving that. So that was kind of unique. This year we worked with Yasiel Puig and his Wild Horse Foundation and put Yasiel Puig on a wild horse. Um, and so he's got the whole thing where he's a very creative in. organization. We do. So again, we brainstorm about these and it's kind of a team effort. And we just, and actually, sometimes we'll actually meet with a player and we met with his foundation and, and we actually met with Yasiel. And his only request was, I want it unique and fun for the fans. And like, we're on board with that. We're, you know, that's, you had me at hello there. So we stuck his tongue out. And then we said, well, what if we stuck the, the horse's tongue out too? So it was just like this. It was a, it's a great bobblehead. If you don't have it, I'm going to get you one. All right. I don't have it. Actually. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty epic. It's ep- tough to get in these days. You have to show up for the game really early. They're pretty epic. You know? Honestly, so we've done, like talking about measurables, we've done the metrics on that. And so we do the first 20,000 fans. Yeah. And typically we still have them around first pitch. So if you're late, then you're probably not going to get one. But if you don't have to line up two hours early either. All right. Yeah. I'll try it next season. And if you ever miss one. I'll you know, call you. I'm okay. your bobblehead guy. Excellent. <laughs> Got it. We have it on audio. There you go. So last, who would you like to hear on the CMO podcast that we haven't had yet? 
Or uh, what type of person would you more, like to hear? More sports marketing execs. Uh, Barbara McHugh, BMAC I've worked with. She's the senior VP at Major League Baseball. She is awesome. She would be an awesome interview. Love to hear her on here. But any, really any sports marketing, I'd love to hear uh, from that world. Our listeners would too. So we're going to get into that more. That'd be great. Yeah, super. Yeah. Well, Ralph, you've been you've been an awesome guest, a great first sports marketer on yeah. the CMO podcast. Awesome. I was so we, happy to be here. We hope you've enjoyed it. Do you have any questions for me to end this or are we good? I think we're good. It's, I, I, I appreciate you bringing me on. I'm surprised we haven't met up until this point. So I look forward to getting to know now you we've a little done bit it. better. And now we've done it. So again, thanks so much. My pleasure. All right. Super. It's a wrap. That was my conversation with Ralph Mitchell. What I really liked about this one is how Ralph talked about his love for art, how he continues to be an artist, how he shares that passion with his two daughters who are twins, and how, first and foremost, he is a dad, and that's his favorite role. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.